You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are connected to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we're talking about how should Christians think about abortion. So uh, we've just had the leak of a draft opinion in the Supreme Court, which has suggested that Roe v. Wade could potentially be overturned. Uh, So the question is, this has ignited a cultural conversation around abortion. How should Christians think about this issue and how should they talk with others about it? Welcome into Church Unplugged. Uh, welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I've got with me today the rest of our leadership team, Zach Wyrock, Joe Coffey, and Stacey DiNardo. And our question today is, how should Christians think about abortion? So the recent leak of a Supreme Court opinion draft in regards to repealing Roe v. Wade, which is kind of the seminal Supreme Court opinion on abortion in our country's history, uh, has sort of ignited or reignited a cultural conversation around the topic of abortion. And so uh, we know that people are talking about it, thinking about it, so I thought it'd be good to talk about it from the perspective of what does the Bible say about it? How should we as Christians think about the issue? And then maybe even uh, as we have conversations with individuals who may be of a different opinion than us, what are some of the uh, ways we should think about addressing this issue? So let's start, though, with um, from your perspective, what does the Bible say about abortion and, and where should we as Christians stand? Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that the Bible does not literally say anything about abortion. Um, This is not a turn to a certain book of the Bible and see uh, thou shalt not have an abortion. But from inference, the Bible affirms uh, a great many things that if you gather, if you kind of collate together, uh, would tell us that abortion is wrong. So a sampling of those things would be, first of all, the Bible affirms that uh, that they are actually human beings in the womb. And this happens in numerous places. You can think about when Mary's pregnant, she goes to see Elizabeth, and John the Baptist is in, in the womb, and she's saying, hey, the baby in, in me is kind of is worshiping the baby in you. And, um, you know, David will talk about being... being Esau and Jacob wrestling in their womb. Yeah. Two nations yeah. are wrestling so in So the Bible is just yeah. over and over again uh, not separating human beings, you know, uh, from, from yeah. fetuses, right? That is a... Uh, distinction the Bible does not make, and the, the second thing is the Bible actually does affirm that uh, because you know if we lump babies uh, in utero in with human beings, the Bible does affirm that taking human life, yeah. especially in this way, is is always wrong. So this would fall under the sixth commandment. You know, thou shalt not kill. You shouldn't take the life of another human being. And actually, the Old Testament law will even extend this to uh, if you if you uh, are in some kind of physical altercation that results in a child in the womb uh, losing its life, there are dire consequences, which is about as close as a one-to-one you can get. But also the Bible would speak to the kind of the main pro-choice argument, which is that uh, it's, a, it's the woman's body, and she gets to decide if she is... Um, if she desires to host a child or not host a child. Of course, the Bible has a different worldview that that we all belong to God. Mm-hmm. Our bodies belong uh, right. to God. Yep. And as such, we don't begin with my body, my choice. We begin with God's body. Uh, this body belongs to God, and it's God's choice. And that is yep. fundamentally a philosophical way that the Bible would push back on, upon this idea that that any of us are autonomous and get to make our own decisions about uh, the moral actions we do or do not take. I guess my question would be, uh, some of the things that you're saying, and now I've been a Christian for most of my life, and so perhaps I'm steeped in a 
uh, way of thinking, but it seems like some of the things you're saying are pretty logical and make sense. So why is this issue so controversial? Why, you know, it's hard for me to even kind of wrap my mind around a perspective that that differs from that. But again, that could be from my. Being yeah, I think that's a great question. And you you said before we started this podcast that you had been listening to another podcast by a pro-choice person. And I'd be interested in that too, because even scientifically, I think it's a really difficult argument to make. Like a, a baby in the in the womb, well, if you look up the definition of an embryo, it'll say that it's an animal at the early stages of development. If, if you do, with our environmentalists, if you crush a bald eagle's egg, you are guilty of killing a bald eagle. I mean, they don't say, well, it wasn't an eagle it yet. Was a potential so, eagle. Yeah. So, so um, and then, you know, the baby in the womb could have, or normally has a different blood type. I mean, it, it is yeah, so, so obviously something other than your, than a piece of your body anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, what Zach said is, is true. I think there is something inside of uh, the cultural argument that where we are, antithetically opposed uh and part of that is that we believe our bodies belong to god and that god is the supreme authority not uh we ourselves and i think when you start to tell someone that you are not the one in charge of you uh no we're gonna have a cultural battle yeah and you know i'll just say so you could divide those up into like uh jimmy what you would have the you know the science argument uh, or the argument about life and what is human and what is not human. And then you could have the other art, art, argument about freedom mm-hmm. and, and imposed morality. So on the, on the life side, I would just say, if you follow the arguments um, that, that the pro-choice crowd is making logically, so if I say uh, the, the child cannot exist without the mother, and the mother gets to decide if her body and her life can be used and and uh, and imposed upon uh, by this child, and and the 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 child is not human because it cannot stand on its own. If you follow that out, yeah. so you get to some scary places. I mean, yeah. uh, right? Define, you know, defining life, wow. yeah. Like, yeah, as autonomy, right? So, for example, and you might think I'm being hyperbolic, but but let me show you that I'm not. Actually, one of the papers I wrote in my doctoral program was on a, a guy named Peter Singer, who is the oh, chairman of of ethics at the at, at, at Princeton, at Princeton, yeah. Yeah. right in right. Ivy League school. And Singer makes the argument that a fetus is is not a person entirely because it cannot live on its own. So he can't make the argument based on heartbeat or brain activity or – so he says, no, 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 you're not fully human unless you can live on your own. Uh, and because this child needs the mom and the mom can decide – I don't care. He actually compares. I know it to, some eighteen-year-olds who can't. Exactly. Live. No, right. Well, right. well right. he will say it's similar to two people in a hospital, and uh, what you wake up in a hospital, and there's a cord connecting you to another person, and it's taking blood from you to them, and if you cut that cord, they die. So, do you get to decide? Hey, it's my body. It's my blood. I don't want to be attached to this thing. That's the comparison he makes. And what he's saying is they are not fully human because they can't stand on. But then, at least to his credit, he says so. This also means that. Really, theoretically, a mom up to the age of about two could decide to terminate the life of a child because a toddler is also dependent. A nursing infant is also dependent. Then he will go on to say mentally disabled people who cannot live on their own 
could theoretically be killed by their family Ugh. morally because the family doesn't want they're they're they are again the singer's words not mine they are parasitic upon the family he was the, the elderly who cannot care wow. for themselves and right. and so but but and, but again and even when you're he's you're just under following anas- the logic when, when you're under anesthesia yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in trouble because you're you're not sentient but yeah I think Peter Singer the only thing that he has going for him is, is that he's very consistent yeah, he's consistent. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I, so I, I think like some of the time is we're having an argument about one particular thing it's 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 uh it's her body her choice versus like let's play this out okay yeah, so really if we say this this fetus is not a person because it's inside the womb it can't live on its own it can't well we can apply that same logic to some and, and end up in some monstrous places but the other argument about freedom and autonomy and imposed morality i think some people will make the argument that and also the argument out we could talk about it is they'll say well there are a lot of things that are wrong but the question is not the rightness or wrongness of abortion. It's whether or not the government has the right to impose morality upon someone to say, well, you know, you have to carry this baby full term because the collective morality is this is wrong. There are a lot of things that are wrong that we don't legislate. You can't go to prison for adultery. You can't, you know, so right. is it right to impose morality? And I think we have to have an answer to that because there are people who will say, well, yeah, maybe it is a human life, maybe it is, but but we're really talking about imposing morality. But uh, yeah, and I appreciate that. But don't we impose morality when it does violence to another person, right? Yeah. So right, then we're back to right. the personhood argument. Yeah. But you, we we don't have any problem imposing morality on rape. Yeah. Right or murder. Yeah. Right. But so once we that, that that's where I think it's such a. Uh, a fuzzy thing when people start trying to define personhood other than uh, that uh, when life begins. begins. Well, it always feels yeah. – it feels arbitrary. Like Correct. You have to, yeah. That's exactly right. You have to make a decision and, you know, um, unless you – yeah, unless uh, – it's hard for me to see a logical argument for personhood beginning any time other than at the, the first moment of life yeah. that doesn't – that isn't arbitrary. Right. Right. And of course, there's the other extreme argument that uh, some pregnancies are not the result of consensual sex. Some pregnancies oh, sure. are the result yeah. of rape right. or incest. And and what would we say to the woman uh, in the in those terms? And first, I just want to say that those situations are horrific. They are. Yeah. Yeah. They're horrific, right? So no one in any way wants to minimize the horrific no. nature of or and I can't imagine the trauma of not only being assaulted. But then having an ever-present reminder, life-shaping, yes, yeah. life-changing reminder that that this assault occurred. Uh, the only thing I can offer is is kind of twofold. One is that um, the child in the womb has no say in how they come to be right. in, in the womb. And right. the second thing I would say is the Bible actually includes stories like this, where life begins under less than ideal circumstances and and God does incredible things through the life of that child which is is just simply to say that uh, the Bible has a category for uh, yeah. terrible horrific beginnings that that result in an amazing and amazing yeah, and I think as Christians we need to have compassion for Absolutely. sure on the situation but also to look at um, at you know what you said uh, uh, my daughter and I were talking and she had uh, heard of a situation where a woman was raped and uh, it resulted in pregnancy and then the man was not convicted 
of the rape so that if she had the child, he would have joint custody wow. of that child, oh. which is awful. That's awful. But this is where I like uh, Peter Singer yeah. because his argument is the one I would use to say, so does it, it, it – if the baby was born and the guy wasn't convicted, would it be okay then to take the child – and kill the child to avoid that terribleness. I mean, it's a terrible situation, but the only innocent, I mean, the really innocent person in right. that would be the child. the child. And you go back to Solomon, you know, offering to divide a yes, child. Yeah. There, is a, there is a wisdom to saying, okay, let's take this to its logical kind of consequence and, and see how we deal with that. But it does bring, it does bring up that... Um, and I, and I don't say this with any degree of insensitivity, but I think there are two difficult things that you have to talk about with abortion, and they both kind of go against either side of the debate. The first thing is to say that uh, abortion exists because sexual immorality exists. Right. Whether that sexual immorality comes in the form of, God help us, of, of, of non-consensual uh, rape, or whether it exists in, in the form of adultery or fornication right, or any right, number right, of these right. things. that So I think that's where we have to recognize that part of the pro-choice movement is connected to the sexual freedom yeah. re, you know, revolution of the, the 60s and just the idea that we sex is outside of marriage, it, it is... It is to be enjoyed whenever you want, you know, however you want, and the inevitable consequence of that, because yep. it's a biological reality that pregnancy always follows uh, sex. You can't get pregnant without uh, having sex. So I think some of it is we have to acknowledge that while the church has held the line on abortion for the most part, we have really softened on a theology of sex and challenging people to to bring their, their sexuality up under um, uh, under the lordship of Christ, and some of that's because it's the same argument. It's my body. It's my. You can't tell me what to do. Right, you can't. Right. And that you know, to really be a pro-life church or pro-life Christian it is to speak clearly and concretely and winsomely and graciously mm-hmm. on the topic of sexuality, calling people to surrender their sexual lives to the lordship of Jesus. Because if everyone tomorrow, if we could snap our fingers, yeah. and people would only have sex within the context of of marriage. There'd be a dramatic reduction oh, yeah. of the need for abortion. Now, how do we do that as a church uh, without uh, creating an environment where, uh, let's say, a, a teenage girl does make uh, a, a poor decision, gets pregnant, and then in her embarrassment and her desire for people that she respects not to not to condemn her goes and gets an, you know what I mean? Yeah. That to, we have to try to be. Uh, Hold the line of yeah. uh, sexuality and what God w- intends for sexuality, but also have compassion and have yeah. a plan mm-hmm. yeah. for when uh, an unexpected pregnancy or um, an unplanned pregnancy happens because as a result of immorality. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I think you got to talk about both things, but I think one of the things is you got to preach obedience to yourself and grace to others. I mean, yeah, I think the reality is, is yeah. that most of us, if we want to fight against but sexual sin. But it's more fun sin. to do the other. Yeah. <laughs> if we want to if we want to fight against sexual sin, we need to begin with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Hold ourselves accountable. Hold our families accountable and preach grace to everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Right. That that's where we can't begin, but as a church, we have to talk about both in equal measure. Right? I think every time we talk about sex, we need to talk about the lordship of Christ and 
and how we flourish under his lordship. And we also need to say, I mean, I've just been speaking to the high school ministry here about sexuality, and I've made a point every time to say some of you might have a a, a sexual history that you feel guilty and shame about. And Jesus has died for that, and there's grace for that, and you can be made new. And, well, and, and I think we got to preach that with an equal measure. Yeah, the same is true as approaching this topic. I was thinking about women out there that have had an abortion and now what they do because there's guilt and there's shame that can be associated with that. Sure. But same thing is God's grace does cover that too. And, and there's, again, a future and freedom in Christ that can be had. Yeah, Jesus That's... on the cross became the one who had the abortion. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to believe that, yeah. that, that if you're listening to this and, and you're hearing us say it is, it is taking a life, it is, and, and the, that, that's producing a visceral response that you understand that when Paul says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin in order that we might become the righteous of God, he doesn't just mean sin in the theoretical general, he means the sin of, of that abortion. Jesus became on the cross, which is why God poured out his anger on him, and there's no anger left for you. And I think, too, with the, with the argument uh, about... Uh, for abortion, against abortion. Um, one of the things that is not measurable is the impact that an abortion has on a woman. Yeah. I think, you know, when I watch the protests like right now that are happening that are pro choice and the anger and the, the like, um, just intensity of that anger, I have to believe that some of it's associated with the actual. Uh, act of having an abortion and the toll that takes on someone's soul. Like you mentioned, like if a, if a, uh, that we should be compassionate, you know, to look at a woman that, with a uh, a pregnancy that happens through uh, uh, non consent consensual sex, and the reminder of that every day. True, absolutely true. But they'll have a reminder of that yeah, if that's imprinted on their soul. Yeah. And I, I have no idea what that's like as a man, but I just watch it in women that have talked to me about having an abortion and the, the, the hurt that they have that we just spoke to, that grace is for that. But there's no measurement in our society for what that has done to women uh, who are now pro-choice. So I want to be compassionate toward them, but I also want to say that, you know, that having a baby uh, that you don't want to have, there's a price for that. Not having that baby through abortion and having there's an abortion, a there's price. a price to that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think the second thing I would say about the challenging things about abortion is just to make the, sure that the, that as we try to be people who are pro-life, that we are consistently pro-life. And I, mm-hmm. I mean to say that in a couple of ways. I mean, one of the reasons abortions happen is uh, economics. You yeah. know that, yeah. that in some areas, uh, women are just saying, "I can't, I can't feed right. this child. Right. I can't." And we have to mourn that, and we have to seek to mitigate against yeah. that, and 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 create, you know, um, not an economist, but create opportunities and systems, and you know, through our our generous giving and and our service, and where less and less women feel like they have to make right. that decision, so and true. also once that child is born, create a climate in which we are. Are ready to whether that's through adoption. Yeah, we should have a robust through, adoption foster yeah. care. Yeah, I, that that's that's where right. that's where I think there's a there's a disconnect between you know you know if if like just take Summit County if all the Christians in Summit County were really pro life then you yeah. might make the argument that there would never be a child in need of a home in Summit County foster care and adoption there should never be one there'd be Christians there'd wow. be thousands of Christians on the list saying. Hey, whatever it takes. You know, I think about the early church. Find the babies in the street, right? Would pick them up and take them yep. home. Right. They wouldn't stand there and bemoan as the baby died. 
that's a shame. That's awful. Who did this? Right. right. Uh, you know, I'm pro-life. They would have to scoop the baby up. And I just think we we need to be more and more saying, hey, I will stand in the gap for that child and I will make it so. But also, even again, we think about systems and generosity as how can we create an environment where a woman says, hey, I wasn't planning on this pregnancy and it's rattled me, but I do know there is help for me right. as I seek to not only have this child, but but to raise this child as well. And, you know... I just think that in all things, what we're calling people to is to align themselves with God, his morality, and to trust him that he has a plan, that he can work things uh, for good, even and including an unwanted uh, pregnancy. Our lives are not our own. Our bodies are not our own. They belong to God. And this is what he says is required of us. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.